Reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And, God, and John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Word of God. Please be seated. This morning, um, I want to begin a new series. We've finished a few and kind of gone through a very short series over the Advent and Christmas season, but I want to start in with the Gospel of John. And I'm looking at this as something that's going to carry us through the Lenten season and on to Easter and even beyond that to Pentecost as we sort of walk through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in the way that that is presented by John. Having said that, um, that sounds like quite a long time. It's not as long as it sounds. And um, there are pastors who have preached from the Gospel of John, Martin Luther among them, for literally years. So this is going to require a certain amount of skimming the surface in various places and hitting the high points. But this morning, before we carry on too much farther from where we've already been, I want to take time to really highlight the purpose of this book. I want to fix a point and then just note that we're going to be circling around that point all the way through to the end of the book. And when it comes to the purpose of the Gospel of John, well, if you were here a couple of weeks back, you may remember, we looked at the parable of the unjust judge. And I talked about how in the commentaries, there's a lot of sort of argument back and forth about exactly how all of the characters in that parable in Luke 18 relate to us. But there's no question about the purpose because the Holy Spirit gave a divinely inspired commentary on this parable in Luke 18, verse 1, which reads, And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect, this was its purpose, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. If you weren't here for that sermon, that was the whole point. Pray without ceasing. Always pray. Don't lose heart. But that's not our point. The thing is, whatever else we might try to take from the story, the purpose of the parable, in that case is one of those things that we really just don't have to worry about. We don't have to dispute. We don't have to speculate. Jesus told the story for this one reason, so that his disciples would always pray and not give up. In a very similar way, we don't need to speculate when it comes to the purpose of the Gospel of John. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Sorry, I went the wrong way there. <clears throat> now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. It's important that we realize that. 
the list of signs, the list of miracles, even the things that Jesus said, the Gospels do not present us with an exhaustive account, not John and not the others either. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there's the purpose statement for the Gospel of John. These things have been written so that you may believe, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now a couple of things. Throughout this book, we are going to encounter that word signs on several occasions. And that word sign is applied to a number of different things from the changing of water into wine, which we'll be considering next Lord's Day, a miracle that might almost feel kind of frivolous to those who prefer their miracles and their answers to prayer to be matters of life and death. It will also be applied to the resurrection of Lazarus, which was exactly that. It was a matter of life and death. And the thing is, it's not about how powerful the miracle appears on the surface or even the impact that it might have in the particular time and place. Whenever that word sign is used, whatever the sign may be, it's always meant to point to something. It's always meant to lead us on to some destination. And John chapter 20 makes clear what that is. Jesus did many other signs which are not written in this book, but these, these signs are written down so that, here's the reason why they were written down with no exception given, they were recorded so that you may believe. So that you may believe what? Well, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is the substance, this is the content of faith, the content of this believing that John wrote about so often in this book. If you do a quick search on the Greek word that is translated most often believe or belief in the book of John, John used it about a hundred times in just 21 chapters. That is very unusual for any book of Scripture to focus so much on this one thing, and yet that's exactly how the Holy Spirit inspired it to John. And I point this out, that this is the substance of faith, because at times well-meaning evangelists have tried to separate belief from its object. I've heard it so many times throughout my life, just Believe in Jesus. That's all you have to do. Just, just believe in Jesus, they say. One church had a conversion prayer, a, a, a little prayer printed in his bulletin said, if, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I'm so sorry for my mistakes. Thanks for salvation. Well, that kind of doesn't really get at what John is saying is the purpose of the gospel. A best-selling author presented conversion, too, as a simple matter of saying, Jesus, I believe in you, and I receive you. And then he went on to say, if you sincerely meant that prayer, congratulations, welcome to the family of God. 
But what does that even mean? I believe in you. I receive you. I believe that you exist. I receive you. How? How can a person who doesn't know who this Jesus really is then believe in him and receive him? If our concept of Jesus is limited to all the times in our lives when we've heard people cuss using his name, Jesus Christ, or to that classic picture of Christ knocking at Hart's door that maybe some of us saw on the wall of our grandmother's apartment years and years ago, or to the bleeding Savior hanging on a cross at the front of the church somewhere, what does it mean then to just believe? This becomes a real problem for someone who sees conversion as essentially just this verbal transaction between a sinner and God. Just ask Jesus in your heart and he will come. That's all you have to do to be saved. And Romans 10 verse 13 does say, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Thing is, a few weeks back we read in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God. So no wonder Paul went on in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Calling on him is not faith. It comes out of faith. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Of course, the apostle went on to add, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Which brings us back to John's purpose in writing this gospel. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote so that his readers might come to believe and to believe very specifically, not just in Jesus in some vague sense, but to believe very specifically that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the substance of believing that John wrote about so many times. So when it says in John 3.16, for example, every sports fan's favorite verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That statement, whoever believes in him, isn't floating in some sort of a contentless vacuum. Just believe in Jesus. This is what it means to believe in Jesus. It means that everyone who comes to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, will not perish but will have eternal life. That's the substance of this believing. And then there's John 1 verse 12, another popular verse to go to in evangelism. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And again, those who believed in his name are not just those who learned the name Jesus and decided that maybe this Jesus was a real man who lived some time ago. Those who believed in his name are, according to John, those who came to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. 
This is the substance of faith throughout the Gospel of John and really through the whole of the New Testament. And this is the purpose of the book. And specifically the purpose of all of the signs that are written down in it. Those signs weren't given to make us envious of the miracles that evidently took place during the time that Jesus was in Galilee and Judea, or even during the book of Acts, during that apostolic period. The signs were written down for this purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. What does that mean? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, John dove straight into it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, means believing that. It means believing that he is the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of the same essence as the Father. It means believing that through him, that is through Jesus, all things were made. So it means believing that Jesus is more than just an ordinary man. Someone who says, I have come to Christ, or I have come to God through faith in Christ, but I think Jesus was just a regular guy. I think maybe Joseph wasn't his father, but, you know, the Holy Spirit, really? How many times does that happen? Well, once, actually, happened once. And that's all that's ever going to happen. But it's not enough to believe that he was a good man or a great teacher, a very wise guru. It's not enough to believe even that he was born of a virgin and became the Christ. There are all these different so-called Christian religions out there who do not believe that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, requires that we believe that. It requires that we believe that through him all things were made in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's what it means to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But it also means believing what John wrote in verse 14. It means believing that the Word became flesh. God the Son, the Son of God, became flesh. He became human, and he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is so important that eventually John would write in 2 John verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, and certainly they have. And who are they? Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. 
So it doesn't matter if they self-identify as Christians, if they just believe in some sort of a Gnostic Christ principle or something along those lines. They are deceivers and antichrists. See, we can't take a reductionist view of the gospel. Just believe in Jesus, whoever you perceive him to be, and everything will be okay. Absolutely not. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is the gospel. All things were made, oh, I'm sorry, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That, too, is the gospel. And all things were made through him, this, too, the gospel. See, the gospel, that which must be believed for salvation, is nothing less than God himself revealed to us in the person of Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, as Jesus Christ is revealed to us in the writings of the Holy and Divine Scriptures. All those pieces become critical. As I said, we can't have a reductionist gospel that just says, no creed but Christ. That's all we need. We just need Jesus, man. We do. We need Jesus, but we need the Jesus who is revealed to us in Scripture as the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's why John wrote what he wrote, not only in his gospel, but also in his epistles and in the Revelation. He wrote these things so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we may have life in his name. And this was also the testimony, the witness, as Mary read for us a little bit earlier, of John the Baptist, as John the Evangelist recorded it for us in John chapter 1. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, this also is the gospel, but not without those other statements. If Jesus was not the Word who was God, if he was not the Creator who made all things and for whom all things were made, and who remains the Lord and sustainer of those things, if he was not the Word made flesh, then he could not be the Lamb of God, and he could not take away our sin. All of these things together are the gospel. John went on to say, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. Well, if you take it in strictly human terms, John the Baptist was born before Jesus. So John the Baptist is already acknowledging the eternity of the Son here. He's saying, Jesus was before me, because before he was born, he was the Word who is God. John says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Again, I'm amazed by all of the theological things that surround what did Jesus really mean when he said, no, John, you, you need to baptize me right now, um, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. There's just so much ink spent and the commentary is on that. And here it is in the Gospel of John. John the Baptist himself says, 
I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptized. That's why John was baptizing, and that's why it fulfilled all righteousness for Jesus to be baptized by John so that he, Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness. I have seen and give testimony that this is the Son of God. See, John the Baptist's purpose ultimately is the same as John the Evangelist's purpose to reveal Jesus to the people so that in Jesus they would get a revelation of God the Father. And in believing that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, they would come to have life in his name. Later on, John would clarify in chapter 3, John the Baptist here, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. So Jesus, who comes from above, is above all. John the Baptist, who comes from the earth, belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Earlier in John 1, we were told he came to that which was his own. He came to the world that he made the world that was made through him and for him, and his own received him not. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Still, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. We'll talk more about that present tense verb there. Eternal life is not something that we get when this life is over. Some of our hymns and poems talk about this life and the next, and there's nothing wrong with that. But eternal life is something that those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, have already received. And everyone who believes in the Son in that way has eternal life. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name John the Baptist wraps up chapter 3, verse 36, saying, Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him, which is not a fun place to stop. But tonight, I think I just kind of came to this now. Instead of carrying on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to talk about this split. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. That's the way that it is very carefully worded as the Holy Spirit put this into the Word of God. The wrath of God remains on him. And ultimately, both of those things together are making a single statement. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the one way of salvation. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Neither is there salvation in any other, the Apostle Paul says, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the hymn writer said, what more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled.